you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we are here to help the animals, but we're also here to help the people. We want them to also feel safe and not judged if they call mm -hmm. and say, I need help. With the Dog Podcast, a podcast for the modern dog parent. I'm your host, Carly, and every Wednesday I bring on pet professionals or some fellow dog parents, and we laugh, learn, and commiserate about everything from the confusing vet visits to dog park etiquette to the 2 a.m. potty breaks. Essentially, life with a dog. Hello, people with a dog. Welcome to our 99th episode. 99 guys. I'm going to be saying this again next week when I'm like 100 guys. It's a big deal. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be sharing this with you and especially excited for this interview in particular. Because today I am bringing you back to the beginning. Back to the beginning of my start in the pet industry at Oregon Humane Society. So I've told this story maybe on the podcast before, but definitely on some other podcasts I've been interviewed on. But I'm going to tell you again really quick. I got into the animal world because I was taking a animal behavior course in college, was deeply depressed and miserable with some seasonal depression plus regular depression in college. And one day I just decided, I was like, I just need to go see some dogs. I need to go pet some dogs. I need to like walk around a shelter or something. The Oregon Humane Society was not far from my college, drove there. And that's when I had a moment. I was like, I need to do something in this line of work. I quickly signed up to become a volunteer with their humane law enforcement department. And that was that. That started everything from then on. The working at other shelters, working at vet offices, working at dog food companies, all the way till now, the podcast. So Oregon Humane Society really was the origin story for my career path. And a couple months ago, I went on a trip down to Portland. I'm currently in Seattle for any new listeners. And I did a bunch of in-person interviews. I've released them all over the last couple months, but this is the last one that I did. I was able to go back to the Humane Society for the first time in the, gosh, 10 years since I volunteered there and interview them. So it was very much a full circle moment for me. And Laura actually kind of touches on that in the beginning of the interview. She says, you know, how the different dogs you have through your life signify different memories or different specific times in your life. And Oregon Humane Society does that for me. That was a specific time in my life where I didn't know what I wanted to do career-wise. I didn't know what I, where I wanted to live. I had student loans barreling down on me. And my time at Oregon Humane Society, I, I can really honestly say volunteering there as well as working with the amazing people I did work with, it really had a very significant impact on my life. So to get into what we actually talk about in this episode, we go over all of the services that OHS provides to the community and how they are a bit different, a bit unique, and a bit more of a leader in the animal shelter world as far as what they've created over the last over 150 years. 
And what I really want to like just kind of touch on and have you guys note while you're listening is with all the services that OHS offers, I feel like they do a great job of recognizing the health, the emotional, financial, mental health of the surrounding human community directly affects the health and caretaking of the animals in that community. So I just absolutely love that a lot of their services are, yes, they're to serve the animals, but a lot of it is to serve the pet parents in the community, you know, whether it's subsidizing some vet care, whether it's education, reaching out to the younger generation and educating them, whether it's helping with behavior and training so the dogs can live a happy life in their home. They do all of that and it benefits the Of course, the animals in the community, but as I said, really, it benefits the people and the pet parents as well. And I think that's a really amazing way that they tackle some of the challenges that they see in animal welfare. So that was just something as I was listening back and editing and during the interview, I I really appreciated how OHS is going about things. And then also, um, as I said, this was a full circle interview moment for me, but I didn't just interview Oregon Humane Society to highlight all of the amazing things they do. But also, I really hope that this episode encourages you guys to get involved with your local shelter. Maybe they do have some services you're not aware of that you could make use of for your own pet. Or maybe you want to look into volunteering. Um, Laura touches on this at the very end of the episode, but you can volunteer in any type of way. So if you're marketing or if you love photography, you can see if you can volunteer your time to go and take awesome pictures of the adoptable pets or for some smaller rescues and, and nonprofits, you know, maybe they need a social media manager and you can do that on the side. Or maybe it's you have some computer skills and you're willing to set up a website for them, whatever it is. I just want to tell you guys, it doesn't have to look like going in and walking dogs every week from noon to three or whatever. You know, of course, if you're able to volunteer in that way, then great. But I just want to encourage you that, you know, you can volunteer in any type of way with your local shelter. So I hope this episode kind of maybe gets you thinking along that track. I know it definitely got me thinking I want to get back into the shelter world a little bit more than I have been recently. And then also, if you are interested in these types of episodes, I do have two other kind of rescue shelter episodes. One is called Education for a Generation, and that's back at episode four, actually. And so it's been a long time. Um, So back in like April 2020. And then after that is Old Dog Haven, which is a senior dog rescue that I work with frequently in Seattle. And that one is actually episode five. So I hope you guys enjoy this. As I said, it was an in-person interview with Laura at the shelter. I absolutely loved it. I've got some great footage from my visit too. So check out my Instagram. I'm probably going to make a reel or two about my interview and show some cute dogs that were up for adoption while I was there. And of course, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like all of this content, then go ahead and give it a follow or subscribe to get new episodes every Wednesday. And let's get into it with Laura. Welcome to the With a Dog podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to see you in person. I know. <laughs> it's always one of those things, I think, when you're over like social media or email, it's it's hard to make sure that the vibe and the internet and, you know, all the things will be on point for the interview. So I'm very excited that we're sitting here face to face. 
Before we talk so much more about OHS, could you briefly introduce yourself and if you have any dogs, to the listeners. Absolutely. My name is Laura Klink. I am the Public Information Manager here at the Oregon Humane Society. I have been an employee here at the Oregon Humane Society for about four years, but I've been a volunteer here for about 24 years. So it's been amazing to watch animal welfare and this shelter just evolve and change over the years. And, um, you know, when I think about my own dogs that I've had throughout, throughout the different chapters, of my life. It's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. So currently, I have a uh, golden retriever, uh, and we can talk a little bit more about her. She is an <laughs> OHS alumni, and I have a border collie who came from a county shelter about 12 years ago. Okay. That's what I was just going to ask. I was like, oh, do, have any of your dogs come from here then? I, I imagine being a volunteer for 24 years, it would be very hard to not have taken at least one home at that point. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've had, you know, kind of, I think as all of us have had pets in our lives, they sort of represent these different chapters Mm -hmm. in our lives. So when I first started volunteering here in 1998, I adopted an old lab and I was with him when I bought my first house. And that's when I really have a real passion for senior pets. And so I adopted another senior lab around that time. And then, you know, next chapter of my life, next boyfriend, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a, a different dog. My husband, who I met about 15 years ago, he had a chocolate lab at the time and our two dogs actually did not get along at first. Oh. So that was uh, that was an interesting exercise, but we worked through it. And the relationship uh, lasted. The, the yes. relationship <laughs> la- tested the relationship yeah. for sure. It can be it can be pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, but we, you know, I uh, got to a great spot and we all as a family got to a great spot. And now yeah. we have a different generation of dogs. And um, Willow, my golden retriever, is about four, and she came to OHS through the Second Chance program about four years ago. So we can talk okay. a little bit about Second Chance. Yes, definitely. I, yeah, I love what you said about like the different chapters in our lives and everything, because when I was at OHS last, it was when I was a volunteer here, and I was in college, and this is where I started my interest in animals in the first place. And um And so I remember just like coming in here and walking around in the kennels and I was just like, if I worked in this space, I'd be happy. Like, you know, especially during college when you're trying to figure out your career and all of that, it just, it was just one of those things I walked around. I was like, yeah, if I, if I did anything to help these animals, I know that I would feel happy and be fulfilled. And, and that was like a really nice feeling to know when you're all of the uncertainty of. Absolutely. I started volunteering here when I was in my early 20s, when I moved to Portland and didn't really know anyone. Um, Someone told me about volunteering here. And it's where I met my some of my best friends that I'm still friends with today. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's where I sort of found some sense of purpose. And, you know, when you care for an animal, whether it's at a shelter or an animal in your home, it really Mm -hmm. does give you that sense of purpose. And and that stress relief after a hard day. Um, And, you know, depending on the circumstances, when you watch an animal evolve and change over the years, there's something Mm. really special about that, especially if it's a a dog that you've adopted that maybe was really scared or timid or or mistreated before you brought them home. Yes. Okay. I'm just, I'm like vibing with you right now (laughs) as far as just like, because I love, I have a total passion for senior pets as well. And I, a lot of my episodes are centered on that, which is why 
if there's any new listeners, you will see that I have very few puppy episodes because I'm just like, let's talk more about old dogs. Um, But talking specifically about OHS, what is the Oregon Humane Society and what is their mission? The Oregon Humane Society, so the first misconception, I guess, that a lot of people have is that if an organization or a shelter has the word humane society in their name, that we're all related and we're not. Mm -hmm. The Oregon Humane Society is a standalone nonprofit that serves, that's been serving Oregon since um, 100, since 1868. So 53, almost 54 years. We celebrated our 150th in 2018. My math is a little rusty right now for some (laughs) reason. 154 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, um, here at the Oregon Humane Society, the organization was actually founded to uh, fight cruelty against working animals. So horses specifically, the organization has evolved and changed over the the decades to also serve children and to serve the community. But today, Oregon Humane Society is um, in one of the largest shelters on the West Coast. We uh, are probably best known for our adoption programs. We typically do about uh, 11,000 adoptions a year. That number has been reduced a little bit during um, since, since COVID because yeah. we do adoptions by appointments now. Um, but we provide a wide array of services. The building that you're sitting in right now was built about 22 years ago uh, in 2007. The building that's kind of attached to this is our uh, medical center and training and behavior center. Mm -hmm. And so that is a program that has been hugely important to caring for shelter animals, but then also helping the community. We have a low-cost spay-neuter program that helps owned pets in the community. So folks that are on a fixed income that may need to get their pets spayed or neutered. Um, We have training and behavior classes for the public. So if you adopt an animal, a puppy especially, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a lot of learning for for the dog and then also for the person as you kind of grow and that that relationship changes. So we have a wide variety of of programs for for the public. We have a huge volunteer program here, humane education. So we're really about being a resource for the community. It's a great place to come to come find your furry best friend, but then also we're here to support you throughout your relationship with with that animal. And I mentioned our second chance program before. That's something where we, one thing that's really interesting that's changed in animal welfare over the years is that shelters work cooperatively a lot more than than maybe mm-hmm. has happened in the past and with rescue groups, et cetera. So our second chance program is um, a huge resource for other shelters that maybe don't have as many resources or as many adopters in their community like we do here. Okay, so is it like they send maybe some dogs that they're having a hard time adopting out over, or is it? It's exactly that. So the Second Chance program, we have, I want to say, close to 80 shelter partners, and that can kind of ebb and flow depending Mm -hmm. on the year. Um, But it's exactly as you said. uh, We work with shelters around Oregon and California. We've worked with shelters as far away as Oklahoma and Texas. Mm -hmm. You know, some communities don't have access to, you know, it all starts really with spay-neuter. Mm-hmm. And here in the Portland area, um, 
gosh, in 2010, there was a coalition formed with other shelters and uh, municipal shelters and nonprofits in the Portland area to form a coalition to really tackle this problem because okay. a lot of what we saw in animal welfare for many years was overpopulation and there just were not enough homes for them all. Yes. And we've done a great job of that here in the Portland area because we banded together, we made sure that access for pet owners was readily available and affordable. Mm-hmm. And not all communities have that yeah. um, at this point in time. And so the Second Chance program really provides a lifeline to some of those communities and those shelters and those shelter workers. You know, there, there are folks working in shelters in small rural communities that don't have the resources that they need. And mm-hmm. I think about how hard those folks work. And I'm so grateful that we're able to go in and kind of assist them by maybe yes. bringing some of those animals here to Portland and to the Oregon Humane Society to be able to find a home. That's amazing. I think, you know, I'm I'm thinking back on to when I was working at a shelter up in Seattle. And that is something that really I loved is how different shelters work together, you know, and just even if it's like the slightest little thing of just getting on the phone and like, hey, do you have any more of these harnesses? We (laughs) we ran out or whatever. Or um, do you have any kennel space for we've got these like three extra dogs that just need this they need to be quarantined can they use your quarantine facilities or whatever and and it's really nice to have that feeling within I think within an organization that says you know we're all here banding together to help the animals but also throughout like a multiple organization as you said the coalition it sounds like that's just very special and I think very um unique to the animal community and very unique also to Portland for what you were saying of like the act it's an actual program yeah the animal shelter alliance of portland which was founded in 2010 was kind of a formalizing yeah. of some of the, those you know, agreements that may have been um, in place before, but it really allowed this community to work together, especially on the spay-neuter issue, to, again, have the resources, have the access for the public. Um, And, you know, it really has made a huge difference. And, And I think, like you mentioned up in Seattle, like across animal welfare in general, you see more of that cooperation among among organizations. And even between local organizations and national organizations. Here at the Oregon Humane Society, we work with the ASPCA a lot. We work Mm -hmm. with Humane Society of the United States a lot. Um, We work with ASPCA mostly on our disaster deployments, and we can talk about that a little bit too, because helping animals during disasters is, is something that has gotten the recognition I think that it deserves since since what we saw during Hurricane Katrina. On that note, I feel like I'm all over the place. So yeah. I have- <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this is good. You're all over the place because OHS offers so much to the community. And I think that's extremely unique to you guys. As you said, you're one of the largest ones on the West Coast. And I didn't know that, you know, when I was volunteering here before I was like, yay, animal shelter. Yeah, like, I'm gonna go try to do some good in the world. And then I got more experience in the animal world. You know, there's there's different levels of um, abilities that the different shelters and organizations are able to do for the community. And I didn't realize how unique Oregon Humane Society was with how much that they offer, like how many resources they do have to really just like spread the roots through all of these different aspects between the Second Chance Program, the um, education and outreach, uh, the investigation, and and then like the medical, as you said, the whole medical department. 
And it really is just like so many services. So if we can like run through all the different ones, disaster relief, there's another one. Yeah. (laughs) So let's like, you've kind of already mentioned them, but if we could just like go into like the, the top ones, really. Or something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you're right. There are so many. And we are expanding our campus, as you probably saw when you drove in. And we can Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit later as well. So I mentioned adoption. So adoptions Mm -hmm. is probably the thing that Oregon Humane Society is best known for. And when you think of an animal shelter, a lot of times that's what you think of first. Um, And you guys do dog, cats, and small animals? Dog, cats, small animals, uh, you know, we've had birds that have Mm -hmm. come in, um, guinea pigs. We had a huge guinea pig intake about a year and a half ago. So our adoption program, um, you know, again, finds homes for thousands of animals each year. Since COVID, we've moved to an adoption by appointment model to really try to limit the amount of foot traffic in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually worked out really well. It's become a very efficient process. I think it's a good experience for clients as well. Yeah. So I think in general, across animal welfare, a lot of organizations have rethought how we do adoptions and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe some of the things we've implemented during during COVID times have um, will will uh, continue. Mm-hmm. So adoptions and, and our second chance program, because, you know, we if people are looking for a pet, we want to make sure that we have a lot of pets for people to to choose from. Yeah. So that is also where the second chance program comes into okay. play is, is working with those other shelters to also yeah. save lives and to make sure that we have we're providing the resources for the community. If you're looking for a pet, you know, definitely check out the animals here. Um, you mentioned that I think when you were here, you volunteered with our investigations department. Yes. Um, so we also call them humane law enforcement. So mm-hmm. we have three officers who are commissioned by the Oregon State Police to enforce animal welfare laws throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because even though their name is law enforcement, a lot of times it's pro- about providing education to people or resources to people who, you yes. know who may be you know their animals may be neglected but it might be for lack of education or for mm-hmm. lack of, of of connecting to resources and then yeah. certainly when there are cases when animals are being um, intentionally abused um, our officers mm-hmm. will issue citations work, work with the district attorney on the cases and things like that so that is actually one of the things that OHS was founded on was fighting animal cruelty and neglect. On that note, Mm -hmm. just because I did have, um, yeah, some experience with them back in the day. And it was so amazing because I, at first, when I started trying to volunteer here, um, I thought Oregon Humane Society, I was like, oh, it's the city shelter. You know, like I, I wasn't, didn't realize it was like an independent nonprofit. And, but the reason I didn't realize that is because I was like, yeah, they have officers who work with them. And so obviously they work for the city. And, and so then as I learned more about the whole department and how everything worked, I was really impressed on how these law enforcement officers as like is it animal control officers? They be called that? So, so with the county, yeah, those are animal control the officers county. that are employed yeah. by like the county shelters. Yeah. So our officers are called humane special agents, okay. and they're commissioned by the Oregon State Police to work throughout the state. So yes. their their area of responsibility and their jurisdiction is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, when there is a case of animal cruelty or neglect that is say two hundred miles away, mm-hmm. a lot of times the sheriff in that in that city or even the animal control officer in that city will may be the one 
initiating that case. Mm-hmm. And then we sometimes will just provide support. We have a forensic center. We have some, some veterinarians who are specialized yes. in forensic medicine. So again, about when it comes to building a strong case, we have the resources and the expertise to help. Okay, it's all coming back to me. Yes, I did a few ride-alongs with them. And it was so, one, it was amazing that there was such a great um, partnership between the county and Oregon Humane Society to be able to, you know, have these um, humane specialists that were able to kind of like work with both. But then also, it was really interesting how, as you said, they do more education than not, you know, and and I think that was sometimes in our, you know, you, you see things on Instagram or Facebook, and it's just a very heart wrenching issue of a dog being hurt and and then being saved, and and that's what we think all animal control or whatever is or like investigations is, but a lot of times it is them going out and showing someone like this is what is needed to care for a dog or this is what the law requires and and educating them and as you said issuing citations if needed but but that was I that was very eye-opening for me and I, I thought that was very interesting that Oregon Humane Society took that role on. Yeah absolutely and I think you know it is important to you know, dispel these myths and to to make sure that people don't know that our officers are there to get you in trouble, right? Because yes. sometimes, mm-hmm. especially if there are other issues going on where um, other social services are needed. So, you know, mm-hmm. folks might ha- not have access to, you know, housing or they might be suffering from food insecurity mm-hmm. or other things. We here at the Oregon Humane Society just hired a veterinary social worker because a lot of times these cases cool. also have um, other um, issues that need to be addressed, whether it's housing or access to healthcare services or things mm-hmm. like that. So I think there has been a real shift in how our officers work has, I think, shifted in a lot of ways. Um, But I also think a lot of the public perception, you know, when you think of a hoarding case, if you think back like 10 years ago or something, people might get really mad about it. Now I feel like there is a a greater understanding and compassion for maybe some other mental health issues going on. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we are here to help the animals, but we're also here to help the people. So if it is someone who has become overwhelmed and has way too many animals, we want them to also feel safe and not judged if they ha- call mm-hmm. and say, I need help. Yes. So that, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it's just you're here to help the community as a whole. And it's like the animals are part, the animals and the people are both kind of hand in hand in that community. Yeah. Um, okay. So Sorry, I took you down that That's okay. We went ado- we did adoptions and we talked about humane law enforcement. Yes. How about we talk about medical center? Yes. Because our <laughs> medical center is amazing. So uh, I mentioned the Spay and Save program. So that is um, a service for the community. If you um, are on a fixed income and need your pet spayed or neutered, we have a program that um, you can bring your pet here. So those are owned pets. So those are not shelter pets. But our medical center here also cares for all the shelter pets. And a lot of times when an animal has maybe a complex um, medical condition or has been hit by a car and needs extensive surgeries, mm-hmm. a lot of smaller shelters don't have the resources for that. So we will often get um, requests um, 
sent to us from these other shelters that, like you mentioned before, like, hey, can you take this animal? We yeah. don't have the resources to care for, for, for this animal. And so the um, our medical center is just amazing. We have a lot of animals that come to us that, you know, again, can't be aren't able to be treated at other shelters. We see cats with ringworm, dogs that have been hit by cars and need multiple surgeries. Um, so, you know, our our veterinarians and our whole medical staff here just does an amazing job. We have a huge foster program because a lot of times these animals that maybe come to us from other shelters that have been hit by a car, they need multiple surgeries, they're not ready for adoption. So they have mm-hmm. to go into to a foster home to recover. So our, um, our medical team just does an amazing job. We also... Uh, I like to say here at the Oregon Humane Society, we're helping to train the next generation of veterinarians. We partner mm-hmm. with Oregon State University, and the vet students there come do a two to three week uh, rotation here at the shelter. So they get a lot of hands oh, they on, get the, like shelter medicine. They get the aspect. shelter medicine yeah. aspect, but they also get that hands on experience. So they mm-hmm. are, you know, actively involved in doing these spay neuter surgeries, working yeah. side by side with our veterinarians to maybe diagnose something unusual or mm-hmm. or do physical exams. So so these vet students are really going out into the community after they graduate with a lot of great hands-on skills, which is just amazing. Yeah. Um, when you think about like when you're looking for a veterinarian, how great to like find a veterinarian in your community that has a ton of hands-on experience, has done a rotation in a shelter. Yes. You know, they're gonna yeah. they're they're gonna get you and they're gonna get get your pet. Yeah. So no, that's a really good point. Okay, so that's the that's medical. the medical. So the training and behavior program, which yeah. I'm a huge fan of for for many many reasons here. So our training and behavior program serves shelter animals and serves the public. Okay. So the uh, we have classes available for the public. So again, if you've adopted a puppy and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Well, first thing is sign up for a puppy class. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have puppy romps here, so puppies get some of the socialization that is so important for their development. Um, We have specialty classes like my dog, my my angel golden retriever, um, (laughs) is very reactive on leash when she sees another dog. And Mm -hmm. so we have a class here called Reactive Rover. And leash reactivity is a really common thing. thing that people struggle with with mm-hmm. their animals. And um, so that class is always, always full, always very popular. We have one-on-one training sessions. We have a, a whole group of trainers here who will work, whether or not you've adopted your animal from a shelter, we'll work mm-hmm. with with folks. We, The one thing that COVID has taught us, I guess, that, that we're going to continue to do is that geography is not a barrier when you're talking about doing a Zoom training session with someone with their dog. True. So yeah. our trainers have done training sessions with pet owners as far as way, uh, far away as New York and Indiana. Mm-hmm. So it, um, that is kind of one of the upsides yeah. of the technology that we've, we've grown accustomed to during COVID. Um, so our training and behavior team also works with the animal here at the shelter. And that's a really important component as well, because a lot of times animals maybe that have come to us from abuse or neglect cases um, are just very under-socialized or don't Mm -hmm. have the 
I guess life skills for lack of a better per- lack of a better term mm-hmm. they don't really have the skills yet to become a pet so we have a behavior modification program here mm-hmm. and staff that are specialized in working with um, very shy dogs traumatized animals um, and it's funny too because even the group of dogs that are in that program ebbs and flows as well so right now our behavior modification program is full of bigger dogs who just don't know how to chill out. So <laughs> but so our trainers and it's our our um our manager of the behavior modification program, she puts it really well when she says a lot of times we're teaching our dog to do nothing. So you mm-hmm. know, we always talk about giving our dogs lots of exercise and things to do and, yeah. and sometimes really it's about teaching your dog how to just calm themselves down. Mm-hmm. And so that um you know, we have it's it's a great resource, and it's also part of one of the programs that we're expanding in our in our campus next door. So our, our tra- okay. and we also have oh I almost forgot to mention a free behavior helpline. So oh. whether or not your animal is from the Oregon Humane Society, you can call this free hotline. One of our um, staff, our train our behavior and training staff, will call you back, or you'll mm-hmm. get someone live on the phone, and you can talk through whatever behavior issues um, you're dealing with. Yeah. So. Spo- That's very cool. Spoiler alert, a lot of the issues are cats with litter boxes <laughs> and <laughs> leash reactivity. Yeah. <laughs> so our quick follow-up question about the uh, behavior and training department. Are all of the trainers, are they like certified and like all of that or? Yeah, so they are. They have a CPDT certification and they all practice uh, positive reinforcement techniques. Um, That is the foundation of our behavior and training philosophy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that you were going to say yes. I was like, yeah, if you guys do it, then it's got to be on the up and up. But I think that's something that I'm really aware of when I try to interview people on the podcast and um, and just on Instagram, all that. Like you see people who call themselves trainers, but oftentimes they are, you know, maybe don't have that full certification. And so it is really nice that you guys have a resource where you can, people can come to you and trust, you know, how you go about the training and, and Abs- behavior. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we did behavior unit. Medical adoptions, humane law enforcement, Mm -hmm. um, humane education. I love our humane education department because Mm -hmm. when you think about the way that young people are raised to develop compassion for animals, kindness towards mm-hmm. animals, towards other people. I mean, it, it starts when kids are, are young. And yeah. so our humane education team goes into classrooms, teaches mm-hmm. kids about proper treatment of animals, about kindness and compassion in general. And it's really cool to see this just sweet relationship that young people have with animals. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a youth volunteer program here for um, uh, young adults age 12 to 17. And I personally just love seeing them in the shelter because they will train each other or they'll tell me about a dog that they walked and like, oh, Mm -hmm. this dog really likes to play with a ball after you take him for a walk. So (laughs) just to see these leadership skills that come out in in young people and then, again, just that kindness and that compassion. My favorite thing, quite frankly, is talking with really young kids where you'll ask, they just want to talk about their pets, right? They're like, uh, you know, they'll raise their hand and they'll say, um, okay, so my cat, when he plays with a, a ball, he likes to chase it all around the house and then he knocks it. it was just, it's just yeah. so cute and so <laughs> pure. And it just really, um, I think, speaks to this 
very sweet relationship that children have yeah. with with animals. I'm over here like I still do that. I'm still I'm still <laughs> trying to like talk about my dog all the time. <laughs> I know we have and and I I just when we get adoption updates from folks who um whose kids have bonded really strongly with with the with the pet mm-hmm. that is my favorite i'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent here to talk about yeah. one of my favorite dogs ever um this dog's name was cash and cash mm-hmm. came to us from um a small rural community down in southern oregon in josephine county cash and i believe like eight or nine other dogs were living in a mobile home they're um so small enclosed space their person had died mm-hmm. um you know they had not had necessarily the the best um the best upbringing with you know just enough maybe resources or or socialization Mm -hmm. so these dogs came to were transferred to us through second chance very shy they were all various levels of shy cash Mm -hmm. was very shy like really shy very shut down um he went into a foster home some folks that had um, uh, fostered for us before, and Cash blossomed with their five-year-old little girl, Aww. and they have the sweetest relationship. The the adopters will often send us photos of Cash lying like back to back on the floor with this little girl. Mm-hmm. He waits for her to come home from school. When she fell off her bike, he ran over to see if she Aww. was okay. I mean, just this, and I and I think about this little. Girl girl like she will grow up and probably in you know 20 years tell stories about cash and this mm-hmm. dog that she um would that was her best friend when she yeah. was five years old so i you know that our humane education program getting back to to what we started to talk about originally and that bond that kids have with pets i just mm-hmm. i just love how that program really fosters and grows that um, our volunteer services, clearly we rely a lot here on volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the folks that deploy to disasters um, are volunteers. So, And I actually am one of them as well. So I have certification in emergency animal sheltering. Um, we have, I think, about 103 staff and volunteers who are currently certified in emergency animal sheltering. So during a hurricane, tornado, wildfire, we are often called upon by some of these um, national organizations that are responding to disasters to to come assist amazing gosh that is just well thank you for running through all of that and it just I think the reason I wanted you to talk about it is just because you guys you really do so much and as I said not all shelters are able to do that and that's fine you know as long as everyone's helping animals it's helping animals so that's okay but it's really just so impressive and so unique about how much you guys have integrated into the community and really, really do give back and help the surrounding areas as much as you can, or, you know, even further afield with disaster relief. And it's one of those things that like, you know, obviously as a nonprofit, you rely on donations and, and, um, grants and we get a lot of foundation grants. grants. We have, yeah, yeah, we, we are lucky to have some really generous corporate sponsors as well who help fund our work. So yeah, it does, you know, we're able to do the work that we do because of, of our community and our generous community. And that's something that, you know, the trust I think that we've built in this community over the last Mm -hmm. 150 plus years has allowed us to grow so yes exactly and it just you can tell that you're able to see the results within the community it's just like of those grants and of those donations and 
all of all of that support that maybe the community gives you, you are able to to then really give it back in all of these different ways in so many different aspects. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where our work is really never done, right? And so you mm-hmm. saw the uh, construction happening next door because we're always looking at what is the next challenge in our community that mm-hmm. we can help meet? What is the ne- what is the next um the next issue that is facing pets and people. And so one of the things that we're looking at tackling with this expansion project is making sure that pets and people can stay together. And so that folks have the resources they need to um, get veterinary care for their animals. I think one of the things during COVID that we've seen and that here at the Oregon Humane Society, we've been able to do because of some of these partnerships is Mm -hmm. we have been able to uh, secure large donations of pet food and distribute it around the state. Mm -hmm. We have hosted pet food banks and resource days here at the shelter. We've partnered with a couple of healthcare organizations on health equity uh, Mm -hmm. type events. Um, So because we know that if if folks are needing healthcare, that they may be need help in other areas. So um, it's, it's really part of always, you know, because of the generosity of this community, we're always able Mm -hmm. to, you know, be look one step ahead and be like, okay, what's next? What's the next challenge in our community that we can help tackle? Because we're very, very fortunate to, to, to have uh, resources to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think the facilities that you guys have is just, it just, I know that this doesn't necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things, but branding and how everything looks and stuff, it really just, it gives the feeling of trust you know, when you walk up, when someone is walking up to the front steps and they're hoping to adopt a dog, but maybe they're a little nervous because they've never rescued before and everyone's telling them to get a puppy, but they want to, they want to do a shelter dog, but they, they don't know how it's go going. I just really think that your community, the, the facilities themselves, as well as all the messaging around, just, it gives so much sense of comfort and trust, I think, for for a new person coming in in search of any type of help that you guys are providing. You know, absolutely. And a lot of that comes down to the compassion of our staff. You know, Mm -hmm. our staff is, you know, receives a lot of training and leadership and um, from, you know, our managers and senior managers. But, you know, our frontline staff is so um, compassionate and so passionate about the work that they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we want it to be a great experience for that adopter that is coming to us to find their next pet you know we mm-hmm. want people to feel you know safe and not judged if they come to us saying like hey I have too many cats or hey mm-hmm. you know I need pet food help or I'm not able to take care of this animal anymore I think I need to surrender it to you guys yeah. so you know our, our our staff just do an amazing job of creating that experience for anyone that comes to us Yes, I completely agree. It's always been, I mean, just coming in here today, everyone was so kind and so nice. And it just, yeah, it it immediately gave me a feeling of comfort. Whereas um, I think sometimes it can be a higher stress environment in a shelter or a rescue situation. And and sometimes it can be off-putting to people. And and I I hate that, that that happens. But I just, I think you guys, as you said, the, the compassion that's shown just like, around every corner is is so obvious. Um, okay, so you mentioned it a little bit, 
the construction next door. What exactly is happening? What is that? So we call it the New Road Ahead Project, and it's two buildings, um, but it's not about the buildings, right? It's about <laughs> the programs and the people and pets that it will help. So okay. one building will house a community teaching hospital, and that is going to tackle a huge issue in our community, which is access to low-cost, affordable uh, veterinary care for pets. We know a lot of folks you know, may not be able to afford veterinary care or Mm -hmm. may forego care for their animals altogether. And so this Mm -hmm. will offer um, subsidized care, you know, so in in a lot of cases, you'll pay for what you can afford. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to make sure that access to veterinary care is never a reason that someone has to give up their pet. So that is just going to be an amazing resource for this community. Mm -hmm. On the second floor of that building will be an animal crime forensic center. So this will allow allow us to really have a dedicated space to do forensic exams, analyze evidence, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a case that we are the lead on or if we're um, assisting another agency around the state or even Mm -hmm. around the country. Um, so that is yeah. something that we're really excited about. And I think I mentioned before, we have a veterinarian already that has a specialty in veterinary forensics. Um, the other building will house a behavior rehabilitation center and mm-hmm. a rescue center. So okay, the behavior rehabilitation center will have a dedicated space that was designed and built to care for traumatized animals. So we're currently doing that in our um, in one of the pods in our current shelter yeah and it's loud it was not really built for that and so our training and behavior experts here have consulted with folks at the ASPCA and in other organizations that have this type of facility so it mm-hmm. it will really be a healing space for some of the for, for these animals in need yeah um, and then the rescue center will give us a dedicated space for um, larger scale rescues probably when you were here volunteering with our uh, humane law enforcement department Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes within a matter of hours, we've got to figure out a way to, to intake 50 dogs or yes. 60 cats or something yeah. like that. And we always make it work, uh, but it's not ideal. This mm-hmm. will provide a dedicated space where we will be able to do that. And the other thing that that space will be able to do is help during disasters. You know, we saw here in Oregon during the wildfires um, that, uh, you know, in many cases there was a need for space of where to either board animals or Mm -hmm. have people co-locate with their pets. Um, During the wildfires, one of the things that we did here at the Oregon Humane Society is for animal shelters that were in the direct path of the fire, Mm -hmm. you move the shelter animals from that space, you know, to, to us. So then that local shelter is able to help Uh, folks in that community, whether they're stray animals that are coming in or people that have to do emergency boarding. Because if you're, if you're in Southern Oregon, you know, and you have to evacuate with your animal during a wildfire, you're not obviously going to drive all the way up to Portland. But what we here at the Oregon Humane Society do can help clear space, move some of those existing shelter animals up here. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. And it's interesting because that's always one of the, the biggest areas of misconception during disaster people think that we've we're taking people's pets you know from california like Mm -hmm. what if that person's looking for that pet well no that's a shelter animal that we moved so there's space yeah in that local community Mm -hmm. so so we're really excited about these two buildings and we really think that it will again speak to this next chapter in animal welfare yes i completely agree 
points again to how unique you guys are is really just adding those extra little touches so you can do even more. Um, on that note, now that I've we've talked you up for so long and everyone's like probably, I know I am, I'm like, I want to apply for a job. Like, why don't I live closer so I can volunteer regularly? So if people do want to get involved, what's the best way for them to? So we are going to knock on wood, start up our volunteer program um, at the end of February. So we've had to okay. put a pause on it for the last uh, almost two years because of COVID. So we've mm-hmm. just been working with our existing um, group of volunteers of a thousand plus volunteers volunteers. Um, but bringing in new people and training them. And, you know, a lot of times you have to be close with your mentor while you're doing some of that, mm-hmm. some of that work. So we, OregonHumane.org is where we list all of our volunteer opportunities. And certainly that's where our job listings are as well. With the two new buildings open, we, we are looking at adding quite a few positions here in the next yeah. uh, year or so. So yeah, if people okay. are interested in working for the Oregon Humane Society <laughs> or volunteering, OregonHumane.org is the place to go. Perfect. What if they live across the country? Get are do you guys can they just do like donations on the website or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Donations. There's a lot of different ways actually that you can donate to the Oregon Humane Society. You can sponsor a pet on our website. You can donate your car. You can become mm-hmm. a monthly donor for you know, $10 a month, you can include the Oregon Humane Society in your estate plan. That's a huge source of funding for us and really important. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if people are across the country, I encourage them to to get involved with their their local shelters too. You know, these, these... you know, what we've been able to build here build here at the Oregon Humane Society is because of the support of the community. So if there is a local shelter or a local rescue group that could use some help or even, you know, you can volunteer programming a website. You can volunteer doing some bookkeeping. So mm-hmm. there's so many different ways to volunteer in animal welfare. Perfect. I love that's a perfect answer. You know, I think it's um it's always nice to be able to donate in a small way monetarily, but as you said, donating your time and maybe if you have a specific specialty is always a lot easier than you think it would be, I think. And there you go, guys. Volunteer. And um, since this is the With a Dog podcast, usually I wrap up with a question of like, why do you choose life with a dog? So... Basically, that is my question, but I know it's like working for dogs, with dogs, all of that. So why do you choose life working with a dog? Oh, boy. You know, I just get so much out of that connection with dogs. Mm-hmm. I I just can't even explain it. There is, you know, I, I still volunteer twice a week to help uh, walk dogs here at the shelter because mm-hmm. there is something so special about that one-on-one time with a dog and certainly with my own dogs too where I don't know it's just such a special relationship I, I think yeah. there's nothing really like it so my life with a dog for me makes life complete beautiful okay well can you plug the uh you already said the website but just the website again, as well as uh, Oregon Humane Society social media info for all the listeners. Absolutely. So OregonHumane.org is our website. Um, on social, we are at Oregon Humane. And if you're on Instagram, our Instagram stories are amazing, especially on Mondays. We do a doggo parade uh, <laughs> every Monday on our Instagram stories. And we're also Perfect. on TikTok, Twitter, and uh, Facebook. 
Awesome. Okay. Well, we have new episodes every Wednesday for With a Dog Wednesday, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. It's at With a Dog Podcast, and TikTok is With a Dog Pod. And uh, thank you so much, Laura, for this great interview. Thank you so much. This was a real pleasure. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> All content on the With a Dog podcast is for informational and comedic purposes only. It should not replace professional advice, treatment, or diagnosis by a certified veterinarian, trainer, or behaviorist.